Yeah, St. Vitus was like Sabbath on 16. Yeah, yeah. The songs were like 12 minutes long, <laughs> and there was only like three verses. Yeah. And it was just... Dun, 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 dun. That would go on forever. Right. But for them, I told them, I said, look, I think you guys should do a couple songs a little more up-tempo. Like like Sabbath did, a couple right. up-tempo songs. Yeah. Okay, they wrote a song, they came in, and go, we got an up-tempo song, it goes like this. Well, it's a lot faster than other songs. But, you know, these guys were all major potheads. Right. I mean, it was just massive pot smoking. I mean, Armando was just stoned his whole life. Right. And they were all stoned their whole lives. So that's what they, that's, that was how they saw the world in slow-mo. So now we'll go to V, which was the Wino's last album for a while. Um, I guess, I don't know if it would be the end of the 80s Doom cycle. At that time, Doom was, was pretty much coming up strong in Europe. It hadn't hit America yet. America's always behind the fucking apple cart on that bullshit. Um, and the thing about that that really was different, really wasn't much else different. We all were recording the same way by then. Isolation booths, overdubs, vocals last, all that kind of stuff. But we did it in Europe, so that was a bit interesting uh, just because of that. And one of the guys, 
um, Stefan, I think, he went and got this weird microphone he rented from a like memorabilia place. And he said Hitler used it during his some of his speeches, which creeped everybody out, especially Wino. And he's like, oh, I've got to use the Hitler mic. And I was like, well, I have to do it. You have to do it. Because, you know, that's when um, we did the song where I did the kind of talking out vocals. Um, and that's a really the thing that stands out to me is doing um, When Emotion Dies. Because when we were growing up, there was always albums that, you know, was real heavy and didn't even have the one song that you had to pick up the arm of the record player and move it over to the next song unless you had to sit through the whole thing. And as much as I love Black Sabbath, Laguna Sunrise is one of those songs. So I said, I want to do a Laguna Sunrise song. Why do you have any, like, riffs you can do? He goes, I have two things I can put together. So he did that, and I made the lyrics up on the spot and decided to speak them and the backing vocals with fiona was supposed to be three different girls doing three different things and two of the girls couldn't show up for uh previous commitments or something and fiona was a trained singer so she said she could do all three voices so we said go ahead and you know we were all like well this is crazy it came out really really cool so we're going to use it for the intro when we walk on, which we did, which worked out well. But of course, to my chagrin, it became popular and people wanted us to play it live, which is no way we could do it. So that's what stands out on that. Besides the Scooby-Doo album cover with the exploding volcano and the bright colors and it's, oh God. You, you want to do a weird interview with me? Let's get into, uh, we can do it separately, uh, what's wrong with every single album cover. That one is so far away from what it was supposed to be, it's pathetic. You just heard Living Backwards from St. Vitus's Five from 1990. This is the Recommendal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And this is uh, St. Vitus Part Two of our sludgy spring, doomy summer kind of mini series that we're sort of doing here weekly. So hopefully you heard part one. Um, if not, I'd go back and probably listen to part one before yeah, one I listen to part two. Right where that one yeah, left we're off. kind of right in the middle of sort of a, a narrative story here. Um, yeah, and we heard from Dave there too. Um, that was Dave Chandler for people that maybe are tuning in just to, to part two. Uh, the the guitar player and main songwriter of Saint Mastermind, Vitus. I would say. Yeah, and so you know, I guess a quick recap. You know, we're talking about uh, you know L.A. Um, you know, one of the first uh, quintessential doom bands of America, certainly, and of the whole really doom scene. Um, you could throw you know Witchfinder General and candle mass in there on an international front but i would say america was probably doing the most you know to sort of take the the sabbath lessons in the 80s and and kind of start to like set things up um yeah i mean there was i guess there was more by volume of yeah. those i mean you had like pagan altar and shit too over yeah that's true i mean some of that new album stuff but that no, was kind of but it was like it was teetering on the line of new album and also complete obscurity sure yeah <laughs> Whereas I think, you know, Vitus and Trouble and Pentagram kind of had a certain reputation. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was kind of part of that. And so, you know, they we're now kind of on their, their second vocalist, uh, Wino, after Scott Rieger's left, um, after their, their second full length and an EP. Um, and, you know, five is really going to be your V. Do you think it's five or V? Just five. Okay. I mean, just because I know it, they use the V as like a symbol for Vitus, you know, so I didn't know if it's like V. What's well, their fifth record? Yeah. Maybe I'm uh, overthinking w this. Wikipedia says uh, 
that it's five. It's five. Okay. But that's somebody who's not sure, you know, who's anonymous putting shit on the internet. So who knows? Now they they left SST um, as we ta- alluded to at the end of uh, part one, and they're signed to Hellhound Records. And I guess Hellhound was where um, you know uh, Iron Man was on that label, Count mm-hmm. Raven was on that label, Wretched was on that label, Unorthodox. Those are some kind of like underground kind of doom stuff. Of the, was it a German the, label? Sort of. That, it it might, sounds like it is, but it might yeah, not be. I'm not sure. I mean, Iron Man was from like Baltimore, Washington D.C. They were in East Coast. Yeah, Doom. Raven was English. I guess German's not really know, Swedish. Know as much about they're not like known for Doom. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. But yeah, so um, basically, what was kind of starting to happen is that um, Wino kind of started kind of bringing back the obsessed a little bit because Hellhound Records uh, basically agreed to put out like old recordings of the obsessed i think that he had done before he kind of left them uh yeah they recorded They'd only done a single yeah before he joined yep. Vitus. so um yeah so it was basically a reissue of their self-titled debut um and you know that started to create a little bit of friction because that started to pick up a little bit more kind of steam um mm-hmm. and so you know i think wino's head wasn't i think you know it's one thing it was dave's band Sure. And Wino could make Obsessed his band. And I, mm-hmm. I get that on some level. You know, at a certain yeah. point, you want to kind of break out and, and do that kind of stuff. So, I mean, he was kind of doing similar stuff, anyways. Yeah. Yep. I'm, you know, saying they're, you know, the same wheelhouse, but fairly different as far as, you know, compositionally. But sure. Well, and as we also heard from, too, uh, this is where now we, we shift away from, from Wino. And um, we shift in a different direction with a different vocalist and a different producer, as we heard at the start of the episode. Yes. Uh, somebody that urged them to play maybe a little bit faster. And we uh, mentioned the story of Don Dockin, and we'll, we'll bring him up a little bit more, uh, certainly, <laughs> a little bit later in this, this yeah. talk set. But um, it's a really interesting transitional time. You know, I mean, five kind of represents sort of the end of like, you know, almost like phase one of like St. Vitus and it's going to be kind of this bumpy road through the nineties. And then like that's phase two. And then it's like all quiet on the Western front. And then phase three will kind of kick in in the 2010s. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pretty wild. But basically like, you know, as Wino is kind of starting to, to sort of wind up, um, the kind of remaining members vowed to carry on and they started putting out ads saying that they were looking for kind of a replacement. And the story goes, um, he says, uh, I think this is Dave talking. Um, he says, we were we were qu- still quite, uh, oh, no, this is, uh, I'm sorry, this is Christos kind of talking. Yep. And it says, after uh, only a handful of candidates showed up, we were still quite unknown in the States. Oh, no, this is, yeah, it's Dave, sorry. We were unknown in the States, and nobody had a clue what Doom was all about uh, over here. And this is when they basically... Um, decide to start looking in the direction of, of another vocalist. And um, basically, I guess the story is this. I have a couple things about this this kind of story. And we, we'll still talk about Patra because we do have one last song to play from, from five, so I haven't forgot about that. But I feel like we need to set up COD at yeah. this point, yeah. Children of Doom. Um, so basically, the story, and chime in when you if, if you know something. While they were in Sweden, um, you know, while in Sweden – Basically, they're recording the second Count Raven record, which I think is called Destruction of the Void. This vocalist, uh, Christus, or Christian... Uh, Linderson. Vinders- yep. Um, 
He read about Wino, and he had been friends with Messiah Markelin from mm-hmm. Candlemass. And so Messiah, both of those guys worshipped at the altar of St. Vitus, apparently. Like, that was their favorite band. And the record company basically asked Messiah to contact St. Vitus to see if he wanted to join Vitus, but he declined. So then they asked Christos. Um, and that's that kind of great if Messiah was on that record. Yeah. How crazy <laughs> would that be? I know. Um, but yeah, basically it was a guy, I think, uh, I'm trying to see here. Yeah. Uh, oh, here it is. The label boss, Michael. Okay. He called me one day and asked me for Messiah Markelin's phone number, who had just been let go from Candlemass. Messiah and me were friends, and we happened to maybe be the two big kind of Vitus fans in Sweden. He said, sadly, for various reasons, he turned them down, and I had to break the news to them. I knew the guys already since Count Raven had supported Vitus on a 1990 European tour, but still, I almost fell off my chair when they said that I could try out instead. I only realized what was happening when my plane landed in California. He said, the craziest part of the story is that around that time, I was in touch with Mike Small from Dream Death and was saving money to go to the States. Yeah. Yeah. They had just changed their name to Penance, and they were interested in trying me out, too. But I joined Vitus instead. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how how that sort of starts. (laughs) It's it's funny how insular that whole group was. Like, everybody in the other five bands knew each other. Mm -hmm. And then Dave goes on to say about COD, says, that was the first time I ever tried to write music in a specific direction to attract a broader type of audience. All the other albums had either Scotty or Wino singing on them, and this was the only one we did with Christos on vocals. So that alone makes it special to fans nowadays. Still, it kind of puzzles me that some might think this is an oddity in our back catalog. I mean, even if the production didn't come out quite like I wanted it to, I think it doesn't have enough low end, for instance. I did I think agree. the music wasn't that different from what Vitus kind of was. I think the production's quite different. For sure. Um, it seems like Don's trying to... Uh, gloss it up a little bit and i think he's he's really trying to do a good effort to try to get them more exposure because mm-hmm. he believes in the band but i don't know if what he does necessarily does anything really great for them sure um by yeah by stripping most of the low end out uh the vocals and like the, the guitars are kind of buried mm-hmm. it's a lot of a lot of drums you hear a lot of cymbals and a lot of vocals um it's all kind of like just mid-range yep i enjoy it but it's not it sounds like you're listening to it through like a transistor radio or something. Yeah. Um, this is Dave from one of the quotes we read in part one, where he's kind of still telling the, the end of that story about like why they got Don to be able to produce this. He says, so this is our chance. And even officially he co-produced it. Even in the end, we mostly did it. And he was just there from time to time to check in uh, if everything was all right. He says, the funny thing is that I remember him saying, your music is kind of cool, but can't you guys play a little faster? <laughs> So, uh, in terms well, of the, the quote you've just heard in the beginning, yeah, the, this he episode kinda, will yeah, sum it up pretty exactly. Good. Exactly. Uh, originally, it was going to be Children of Doom, but they um, wanted to shorten it to COD just to make it look weird, according to Dave. Cash on delivery, man. Um, 62 minutes long. It's a little long. It's, it's, that was of its time, though. I think, yeah. Everybody CDs, was pushing stuff out. Yeah, exactly. Stuff minutes. like that. Um, it's almost twice as long as mournful cries. It's <laughs> pretty crazy. Um, it says just like five, it had the privilege to have the kind of cheesy covers that betrays none of the actual utter bleakness contained. Um, let's see. I think there's a quote from Dave. He says that was a complete surprise to me. I had told the label that I wanted a creepy skull on the cover and they came up with that. 
the volcano. <laughs> Problem is, is that I only saw it once. It was out. Yeah. No, I think the cover. The he wanted a creepy skull, and he gets. Oh, for, yeah. The see it. He the, gets this. How creepy is that? I don't really know what to think of that cover. <laughs> I mean, it looks like like I don't know, like something from like a D and D manual or uh, yeah, like looks yeah. like a knee pad for a Warhammer 40k guy or something. Yeah. It's weird. It looks like, you know, it looks like one of the like Ray Harryhausen faces from like Army of Darkness or something. Oh, the uh, like Seven Voyages Sinbad yeah. s- skeleton yeah, scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something like that. So, yeah. So we'll talk more about like kind of COD, the aftermath of it, how it's received and, and kind of some of that when we come back uh, in the next set. But let's actually talk about the songs we're going to hear in this kind of first sort of set of music here. So we're going to end with the last song from five. And I talked about Patra, Petra in uh, the end of part one in that it, it sort of is um, just in terms of like the aesthetics of it, that that song and the, I think the troll was it or no bitter truth. Maybe I mm-hmm. can't remember. Yeah. Uh, they had some kind of connection, but this is, you know, basically it kicks in with the, the Sabbath tritone, the diminished fifth, you know, the the the, the quintessential sort of riff that's kind of got going on there. And like I said, I've said this before about these guys, so much doomy provocative sort of stuff going on. I mean, it's just got this provocation to it that's really like awesome. Mournful, bleak, uh, earns the shit out of that glorious apocalyptic tempo shift and that flange <laughs> spastic lead. Yeah. It sounds like a Sabbath song de-evolving Oh, this is what it was. De-evolving like it was recorded by Hendrix for Electric Ladyland. So, yeah, it was nice. the other song we were talking about, the the, the feedback sort of solos of Hendrix. I think yeah, it was the yeah. troll. But uh, And then I said the chaos subsides, and it regains its glacial status, and it just, this is the song that I really think inspires, like the crowbars and the reverend but you know bazaars and all those cathedral type of for sure cathedral yep all the slut wizard is drawn from this quite a bit yeah you know so a lot of those kind of quintessential 90s kind of harder doom bands for sure well yeah. that's funny they're actually contemporaries with you know cathedral at this point penance and i know yeah and they I were wonder, on for so long that they kind of i think they toured again. with cathedral at one point didn't they i think I remember i'm sure they did I, probably they probably opened for cathedral yeah that's which must have been like weird for Lee to know, like, because I'm sure Lee was a huge fan of these guys. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I I think that happened a lot just because that Columbia deal too. Sure. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I think the the whole thing was so small. I think everybody was just stoked to if anybody knew who the fuck they were. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we didn't talk too much about uh, living backwards when we opened up either. From five, I just now realized that we just kind of kicked right in. Um. Which is that just desert rock is what I wrote. It's the, it sounds like a slowed down Ramones riff. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got like a songs from the deaf, like kind of yeah. Queens of Stone Age Which, sort of feel, especially I guess that it, drum I, that's shuffle. That's kind of the same, same thing. Yeah. Really. I mean, the Ramones are so fucking catchy and so are like the, those Queens songs, you know? Yeah. But uh, I just said the guitar, like that, that drum shuffle and that fuzz guitar, it just makes me relax and happy. It's just great, you know? So yeah, I really uh, dig uh, Wino's chorus in that too sure it's great then we get into our first cod song um and you know shadow of a skeleton i just i think this is my favorite of christian's vocals on the whole album is in this song Mm -hmm. um i said it's like ozzy kind of like circa like the sabbath bloody sabbath sabotage kind of ozzy 
Do you know what I'm saying? Where yeah. it's like he's a little more free in what he's doing. He's like less structured a bit. Um, it's kind of trippy. It's got these kind of <laughs> cool like vocal hooks. Yeah, he's probably fucking more high. And you know what it ultimately reminds me of? And there's like kind of a country connection-ish mm-hmm. or at least a Scandinavian connection. It reminds me of Sog. Okay. Like, like you know how like he has the... You know, he does like... Yeah, those Ozzyisms and stuff. So, um, yeah, I just... The, the doomy tones, Dave's usual monster self on the solo, fucking good shit really groove kind of going on here um then we get into get away and uh what was what's your take on some of these kind of cod songs um let's see what i got for shadow of the skeleton <clears throat> remind me of witchcraft uh okay. you know how witchcraft is like very it's like doom but stripped down to like a swedish level of abba for yeah. doom like uh and just, i think that's like that speaks to like sabotage like yeah. that era of Sabbath a little bit where they were getting they kind of knew loose what and, they were and yeah. could yeah, experiment a little bit. Um, has a little bit of harmony guitar in there. I think mm-hmm. which is also pretty sweet. Uh, Get away. Another uh, PL mournful guitar lead. Okay. Yep. I uh, got that. Um, some Bobby Liebling vocals and oh, some great propulsive drumming. Pentagramish vocals. I yes. wrote. Yeah. Drum. <laughs> hey, we might've been hearing about this shit for a while. I know. Uh, um, the imagination man. That's the one that reminds me of the uh, the Tony Martin Sabbath era riff. Okay, and that's the one that reminds me of Fireball Demon from Cathedral and Fu Manchu. All kind of all works together. Nebula you know? and all that. Oh, kind of it's stuff. kind of like a, a play on the A Team theme. Yeah, this is when we get to Imagination Man. I said like this to me. This is the song that like speaks loudly to the Don Dokken influence. Yes. Like, I don't know if he, like, inspired them to write something more. I mean, Dave talks about he wanted to write stuff that was a little bit more, yeah, you know, it, not mainstream, but just, like, hooky and, and stuff like that. And this stuff is Stuff people would get into. This is kind of anthemic, you know. Yeah. One thing I wrote about Getaway is um, a lot of Solitude Eternus vibes. And you know, I'm not familiar enough with them to be able to... They might be an interesting one to do for a Patreon show for this yeah. Doom series. I think I dig them a lot more now than I oh, did I then because they're for sure. I didn't really understand where they're coming from. I, just I like, think eh. you. I think like Vitus. You. It, yeah. yeah. I, Especially I wanted those, death metal singing. Those yeah. first few are are pretty great. Yeah. And also, like they've got this moment in it that reminds me of the oath, um, the song from that opens up anthems. The kiss. No. Oh, I thought you were talking about the the, the like. No, no, the the first like intro sort of song from Emperor where it does is like oh where it sounds like Alt, Alt Zar. yeah it's yeah got, it's got some of that kind of to it too um, some space rock kind of elements um, there's like like especially Imagination Man there's aspects on this record that sound like work work with me here if Billy Idol made like a Doom Rock album in terms of like the production and the anthemic sort of quality. It, yeah, because it kind of takes the production makes it sound like, like how Billy Idol was punk compared to what uh, Subhumans were punk. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One's like snotty and down and dirty, and one's very polished and. It's poppy. like Def Leppard hysteria is what like Iron Maiden Killers sounds like with Mutt Lang yes. production or something like yeah. you know like yeah 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 something kind of like that. So um, yeah, so there's there's lots of cool stuff. I I mean the drums in Get Away remind me of like what. Uh, Dez is going to do on like High on Fire. Just yeah, like, there's a nice, nice like jazzy drum breakdown and yep. stuff in that. In that uh, a drum-driven song. nightmare is what I wrote. So it's so good shit in the indeed. So so let's get into it. We've got uh, 
we've got the final song from five, Patra Petra, and then we got a trio of tunes from COD, Children of Doom. We've got Shadow of a Skeleton, Getaway, and Imagination Man.
they couldn't take the stream.
that was Imagination Man, Get Away, Shadow of a Skeleton, all from Children of Doom. And then, of course, we left or we started off with our final song from the, the wino era. I think uh, Lenny Kravitz did a cover of Get Away, didn't he? I want to get away. Yeah. Um, he could afford to give these guys I have, bucks. I hated that song. And now I've come back around on it because it reminds me of hanging out at bars in Italy. And so I have fond memories. Okay. That's what I think of. That song was huge there. I, there's like a handful of songs that were big when I was in Europe. I mean, and that I'll, was I'll attach big those. Yeah. But like, if you're in Europe, it's gonna you're gonna remember it more because it's not just like some asshole. It's, playing yeah, it's, on a it's like a new here. memory or something yeah. like that. It was, was kind of weird. So, but yeah. So back to kind of COD to sort of wrap that up because I got some some good stuff on this record. So it's kind of fun to like get some actual like quotes and things. And Dave's gonna be coming uh, and, and speaking again. Uh, a couple more times throughout this episode, so you'll you'll get some more of that. But essentially, you know, um, this is from Dave. He said the sales were okay, but nothing spectacular. And even if some thought we could benefit from the fallout of the popularity of grunge, that never happened either. Um, and that kind of talks about how like Christos and the band don't really like gel, especially like live. I don't know if you kind of came across anything like that. Um, no, I can I can imagine it doesn't seem real fluid compared to the other guys. Um, Dave says, let's face it, it just didn't work out on all levels. We never really gelled on stage. The songs hadn't come out as good as uh, I thought they would and so on. And when the U.S. label that was supposed to release COD and for whom we had recorded two extra tracks eventually refused to do so because they thought it didn't sound like Vitus enough, I understood the whole thing wasn't meant to be. We did our best, but there was just nothing we could do, I guess. Um, And then Christos kind of talks about it. He basically says... I didn't hear back from them for a couple of months until Dave called me up one day and said that he was sorry, but that things weren't working out and that they couldn't keep me any longer in the band. It's only years later that I understood that they were already thinking about asking Scott to come back. But when it occurred, it was pretty rough for me. And for a long time, I was pretty upset about how the whole thing ended. But that's around the time that former Unleashed guitarist Freddie got in touch with me and asked me to form a new band with him, Terra Firma. If it hadn't been for him... Uh, I would have been in a much bitter, much more bitter about the whole thing. To this day, I still have a love-hate relationship with that record. I'm very proud having been part of St. Vitus's story, yet I think it could have turned out much better if we had more time to know each other and let me progress as a singer. But it is what it is. You know, I didn't realize he was in Terra Firma. I've got that 7-inch. Yeah, yeah. He's in Terra Firma. <laughs> I had some... Uh, I had there some... might be a full-length record, but there was like a... It might even be a split with uh, Spiritual Beggars or something I've got. Because <clears throat> that was right about that time when people were getting sick of death metal and they would all be starting these, you know, more doomy bands. Yeah, he went on, he sang not only with Terra Firma, I've got, I have this like whole other like like weird notes that I have somewhere and I don't know where they're at. <laughs> but yeah, I had like a list of like the bands that he ended up being in and stuff like that. So, um yeah. So yeah, it's it's too bad for for Christos, but you know, that's it's a record. I think the Don Dokken thing like added like a different layer t- to it for me just yeah, being like I a Dokken so fan and I think like I can enjoy parts of that record. It's probably not a record I'll put on that much, but it's like kind of the you know, it's it's the social outcast of it. It's the black sheep of like the Vitus. And so like, I don't know. Like, I kind of dig it. I think we I think we at Requiem, we kind of like are always looking out for that. Like that know, underdog. Like, uh, you know, I like uh, Skid Row Subhuman Race, the one yeah. no one knows. And, you know, th- those kind of records that like some people don't kind of take for granted. Dissection Rankos, you know, things like that, you know. So it's got that kind of quality to it. So, 
But then re-enter Scott. Um, Scott, not Wino. Yeah, I know. Are you confused yet? Are you following this this narrative? Well, um, I mean, I think most of the reason why he got this record is because they they were going to go out and just go as a three piece. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then, Dave Dave was in the studio ready to like. They'd already recorded from what oh, I. Oh yeah, that's what it they was. recorded a bunch of material, and I think it was all reworked um, when they convinced Scott that this was going to be their last, you know, last album, the last big hurrah. They'd have some uh, some European tour dates, and there's a bunch of horseshit that happened with that. So, and so because Scott had a you know a family, yeah, uh, six I kids still does, yeah. So six he was kids. taking his vacation mm-hmm. to go to Europe and thought he was going to make a little bit of money and mm-hmm. you know have some fun, and then the record company ended up like booking them. Uh, a week early and just the whole thing was just a shit show because they were like oh yeah we've got this guaranteed like you know larger venues it's going to be great and then he got sick and yeah. just all kind of went downhill again yeah um scott kind of comments and he says me and dave never lost touch he says you know even after those you know th- that stuff he says see we both are the same age we come from the same background and share the same love of old horror movies and very undefined yet ghoulish voices like the one bella lugosi <laughs> or vincent price had so around the time when Christos was let out, they couldn't get a proper replacement. And every time he would make me listen to some new contestant, and I'd be honest and say to him that I was, I was, what I was hearing didn't cut it. I think I made fun of him when he broke the news that he eventually would handle the microphone for that album, to which he replied, <laughs> so why don't you do it instead? I guess it kind of quite surprised me uh, to hear me say yes. The fact that I already knew the plan was to do one last album and then split made it easier. Yeah, kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then they, they get in, and um, Dave says I was more pissed off than ever when they started making it, and he says as if I all mean, that, it sounds that way. anger and frustration I had suffered from until then were just pouring into those songs. And so that's where you get Die Healing. And uh, Well, this was, yeah, produced by, Dave went after the producer of like, the early Sodom records. Harris Johns. Because yeah. he really liked the, the sound, and he brings a really fucking bleak, heavy tone, like, this might be my favorite as far as the tone of the record. It sounds great. It sounds really good. It sounds, it's like modern. I mean, I love the, like, Born Too Late's got its own kind of like charm as far as the sound is concerned. But as far as being like a modern Doom record, I mean, nobody it, can fuck with it, it. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did Harris Johns do creator stuff? I I'm not sure. He did. I, I feel like sure. he did more than just Sodom. I think he was kind of one of the noise guys. I think uh, Dave just really dug Sodom. Yeah. Well, I think Dave, I think Sodom, I've used this word in part one, had like a reductive thrash sound. They were yeah. like so simple in a lot of what they were doing and in all the best ways and the way that like Vitus approached Doom, you know, in that same sort of way. But uh, yeah. Oh, he did... Uh, Celtic Frost, yep. Pleasure to Kill, Exumer, yep. Tankard, yep. Voivod, Killing Technology, Hobbs, Angel of Death. All um, fucking masterpieces I mean, that we're talking about yeah. there. So yeah, There's all kinds of shit. So Sodom that, Code Red, M16. So, he, so what you're saying, Mark, is he's not Don Dokken. No. It's, it's, a different, it's a different aesthetic <laughs> that he's bringing to the table. Yeah. So yeah, I think Harris Johns is... He did is, Walls of Jericho. Halloween. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That was on yeah. Noise. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. I wonder if he did the Guardian stuff. This is just like his selected. Yeah, I wonder if he did right like here. those first two. I know Fleming Rasmussen is the guy like that did Imaginations and some of that. But yeah, maybe Harris had something to do with uh, the early Guardian stuff. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, as as like Mark kind of alluded to, 
you know, 10 days into the tour, Scott quits. And Dave yep. has to sing on the rest of the tour. Um, I think they had to cancel most of the rest of it afterwards. Yeah, because they play. They basically they booked them a bunch of like shitty little shows the week before. Yeah, and then uh, Scott got sick, and then it's like fuck it. One thing I think that works for this record is you can tell that they wrote it to Scott. Yeah, style absolutely. Like his style fits in. Like it's not written like a wino record would yeah. be written. You know. Um, and it gives it this, like, I guess the sullen, kind of dissonant quality. But it's got, like, this, like, Scott records are always dirtier. They're just, like, yeah. Like, they're not any less doomy or more doomy, but it's just, like, there's grit and dirt, like, kind of, that's always a part of the Scott records, I feel like. Yeah. I would, more, I would than agree. The, more, more than the Wino stuff. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dark World is, I mean, it, it's like King Diamond with, uh, with Tim from Sir Thungul vocally. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's just I don't know the 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 total like chaos of the guitar the 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 whole like as soon as the album starts off, it just sets such a tone like immediately. Yep, it's and I a, think it sets it apart from everything else they've ever done. Well, and I think it's a perfect encapsulation of like a different sound, and I called it doom rock. Yeah, whatever that is, it's like it's some it, you know you've got glacial doom, and then there's like this other thing that. They also did. It's like, yeah, like the Cathedral of School. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not quite so. And now it's interesting because now by 95, they're also being informed by what the like next wave of Doom is doing. Yeah. So like, I, 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 I've never heard this record before. Oh, okay. And if I would have heard this in 95. How did you guys not hear this in 95? Did you guys just maybe. I mean, who the fuck put it out? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Uh, like we were so into other shit that didn't even pop up on the radar, but like, I knew who like Paul chain was, but I didn't know who the fuck well, I didn't know this that's, record. That's because Paul chain had Lee on yeah. a record. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I would have loved this if I heard it. Yeah. Because like when peaceful started reissuing, um, the pentagram, the pentagram shit, I was eating that up like in the nineties. Before warned came out on peaceful, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. Like why peaceful, like, how come nobody was like courting this band? You think because it was COD? Maybe they thought uh, COD was kind of like a a step in the wrong direction. So why? I honestly why? don't know. Yeah, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, it just this, seems like this somebody record, should have grabbed them and exposed this. This would have been way bigger if it was. I don't ever remember seeing a goddamn ad about it. Yeah, and that's weird. Ninety five is like peak. You and Chris are in the heart of this. Yeah, like you guys knew. Yeah, you had your pulse on this. So it's like, and like the doom shit was like, we're eating that up. Yeah. You know, but that was just like not on the radar that I can ever remember. And I never heard it for sure. Cause I was like the, when, when I heard before Warren, I was like, oh man, I want some more shit like this. This is great. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is band's been around forever. And they've got, you know, like then learning kind of how, how prolific pentagram was. When did you, when did you guys find out about trouble? I think I found out about them with, um, with the self-title, probably. Okay. The one, the Deaf, the American, Deaf American record. One. Okay. And th- to be honest, I saw the picture on the cover and I thought that looks stupid. Yeah. I mean, it, the, <laughs> I it, thought Eric Wagner's hair looked gay. Oh, because the curls? Well, just the big poofy sh- bangs. And I was like, it, just dumb teenage shit. Sure. I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is stupid. Good thing I, you didn't see pictures of Dave Chandler looking <laughs> headband and. No, I'd seen him at that point. Okay. And you were. I was like, hey, that's fine. Sure. Um, 
But I was, I mean, you're so stupid at that age that you don't, anything that you don't understand you think is somehow threatful to mm-hmm. anything like any kind of dumbass. But, um, yeah, if I would have heard, God, if I would have heard this record, it would have been exactly what I wanted to hear. One of the coolest things about uh, the session with Harris Johns, I forget to mention, is uh, I think it's Dave. He says, one of the best memories I have of that session is they got Armando a drum kit completely made out of metal, except for the skins. <laughs> they even hired a professional drum tuner. But as soon as he got them, Armando proceeded to take them out of tune to fit his style. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so I thought you as a, a drum guy would <laughs> find that pretty funny. But uh yeah, I mean, this is this is a, just an incredible record um, to the point where, you know, it, we just had to start pulling out like lots of songs from from this record. Yeah, and um, yeah, Dave's going to kind of get into it as well. But um, yeah, Dark World, the the first tune kind of kicks things off. Then we get to like, <sighs> this has got to be in like the running for one of my favorite of their entire songs, which is Let the End Begin. I, I have a good note on this one. Okay. The uh the weird theatrical Dracula shit that he's doing, it borderlines William Shatner cadence. Oh. Mm. Like, if William Shatner could sing, this is what he would want to do. Okay. Just like the weird chop like the you know, like his uh uh what is it it's called the Transform Man or whatever the fuck that That one novelty record that kinda yeah, yeah. where he did like uh Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and yes. that kind of shit. Lucy he has some of those slight cadences. Da- you yeah, know, okay. <laughs> I now I get what you're saying. That's no different than my Billy Idol take. I think yeah. I think we're in the right realm of like weirdness. But it's way better than they would have ever done. Sure. Yep. Um I said it's peak era cathedral level dirge, dark, monolithic, piercing, mournful sadness. The tempo break at four minutes adds to that cathedral comparison. Yeah. Um, Mark does some incredible bass solos in between kind of like what all the weird, like noisy things that Dave's doing. Yeah. Um, and then I said before, you get a great false finish at the five minute mark, which brings me back to full depression, complete with Scott's most wailing, sorrowful vocals. I said it's kind of avant. Please, please. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's almost like something like you mentioned Paul Chain before. This is like the kind of stuff you hear. It like, reminds me of Sir Thungle a lot. Like that. Yeah. There you go. Sir Thungle. It's just something like weirder, more avant, you yeah. know, like yeah. whether it's Death SS or, or Paul Chain. That's another band we should probably throw into like the European Death SS and mm-hmm. Candlemass. They were, you know, having finding that shit. I, I, well, I've gotten CD, but okay. I don't know. Vinyl, I got to imagine it's tough. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah, can sell a kidney. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to find too much death SS. But yeah, no, the bass playing is is so great on this record because it's all playing. Everybody's doing their own thing, like weaving within one another. Mm-hmm. There's all the space that they're playing inside, which is it's it sounds like it doesn't sound like it's a complicated thing, but nobody it's hard to do it right, and they do it really well on this record. I think too what what makes that. Um, I found this this what lets the end begin kind of so special is is Scott this is Scott being interviewed kind of talking about it and he says um one special song to do is let the end begin he says because earlier that year David lost his mom from one sickness and that song was partially inspired by that event so when I did the vocals for that one I asked for all the lights to be turned off 
Harris complained it was too dark, so we eventually added some candles, but the vibe was just perfect. It allowed us to do the song the way it was supposed to be done and with that special eeriness. But not everything was that solemn. You could count on our bass player, Mark Adams, for that. While Dave was the business guy and the one cracking the whip, Mark kept pulling pranks on everybody in the studio, including our producer. Which he doesn't tell me what the prank is. <laughs> Way to leave me hanging on that one, Scott. But yeah, there, there's an interview I was watching for the uh, some of the reunions, and this lady, this uh, European interviewer, is asking them questions like, "Oh, what what do you do for your your day jobs?" And Dave, uh, well, Wino says. Uh, I'm an entertainer full time. Um, <laughs> and uh, Dave's like, oh, I, I, I roll up. Stuff. I think he works for like a dispensary or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, Louisiana. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, he's down New Orleans. Mark's like, I don't have a job. He's like, no, you're a landlord, man. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, in between after die healing, uh, eventually um, Dave will get a job. He'll be a DJ at a strip club for quite a while. Yeah, so you that's know, fantastic. Yeah, you gotta do. What I mean, you, you do, do whatever you gotta do. I, yeah. I totally appreciate that. Like yeah. you do what you do what you love, and if you need to do something else to get by, then you do a little bit extra, and then you go back to what you love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's makes a lot of sense to me. And then the cover. This is a uh, not a bad cover for. No, Vitus. I kind of dig this one. Yeah. Um, it says I found some info about it that the band took time to visit a cemetery where they did the promo shots and used one of the pictures uh, for the cover. Um, as those two crosses seem to symbolize the double meaning of the title. Plus that little rusty door was open as if inviting those looking in to enter. Um, ultimately Scott Radio stayed door there. Is open. <laughs> Scott was only there for about 10 days. And then the, the rest of the band was there for a little bit longer, kind of helping Harris kind of mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and where, let's see, they talk about, I thought there was more on the cover. I thought I had more on the cover, but apparently that's it. So, um yeah and then they, you know that's that's kind of it for them you know because scott leaves and um the band kind of goes on hiatus at this point i yeah. mean it's it's kind of a weird <coughs> excuse me oh gesundheit no it's it's just like a i don't know it's just a weird it's a weird place to be and so um i mean it seems it feels like that was the if this wasn't going to work, then that's it. Let's just hang it up. We tried. I get it because at a certain point, they've now gone to the well. They put out this record. Nobody hears it. Yeah. I mean, you didn't hear it. That speaks volumes. Yeah. Um, you know, they got families. They're not that kind of extra time. You get to you know, spend it with your kids or whatever. Yeah, like, you're trying to sense. pull these like tours off and your vocalist keeps quitting on every tour. doesn't work on the tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. If, I yeah, if you're not a lifer, like, it's probably feels pretty frivolous like okay cool they're paying us to come to europe but then i'm just gonna work my ass off and get beer money like sure <laughs> yep yep different priorities and so we'll we'll sort of end this set with sloth uh from uh die healing and uh appropriately named it's one of my favorite crushing kind of sludge tunes from vitus um i said it's got this kind of tenebrious murky crawling sound like a ominous like lovecraftian kind of feel to it it's definitely like somebody playing with like bad mojo um and i just said beware yeah beware the <laughs> sloth uh armando never lets me get comfortable um in this whole song he kind of does like weird like a weird war ma- march but like on like the wrong speed it's like too slow yeah but it's like plodding and it's uncomfortable. The whole song is uncomfortable. Um, and I, that's kind of what I dig the most kind of about it. So 
Um, yeah, any thoughts on on any of those other tunes from uh, from Die Healing before we kind of head out? Uh, no, just yeah. I mean, let the end begin. We've talked quite a bit about that, but yeah, mm-hmm. another great example of the the shift of tempo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that dirge riff, like apocalyptic Celtic Frost, you know. Yep. Into the pandemonium type weirdness mixed in with all the stuff too. And sure. Yeah. And that's 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 probably where I like into the pandemonium, Paul Chain, Death SS, just like some weird European like element has kind of entered the scene. So Yeah. But uh so we're gonna get into this set. We got Dark World, Let the End Begin, uh One Mine and Sloth. But before that, we've got a nice little chat with uh with Dave, uh where we asked Dave to talk about COD um um a little bit uh he talks kind of about just the probably a lot of the stories i was kind of just getting into over die healing and scott rejoining and and some of that kind of stuff so yeah so we'll get back into it with uh dark world let the end begin one mind and sloth yeah during the time of v we could see the doom scene in europe getting bigger like i said earlier america hadn't caught up yet um it was still very unpopular there Matter of fact, um, when we went to Europe for the first time in 1989, after that, we never played another American show until uh, uh, 93 with Chris. Uh, brings us to COD. Well, I am not a fan of this record. It is, I consider it the bottom of all of ours uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, the production I can't stand, but that is not Don Dawkins' fault. And yes, he was the producer. He, I told him I wanted a quote commercial unquote sounding record with my songs because I was hoping with a different type of production that it might catch on somewhere somehow and get played on a radio station somewhere, which up to that point, virtually nothing had. Like, rarely, once in a while, you'd hear something from some oddball who probably got fired for playing it. And so, you know, he did the best he could. He had his people, you know, that worked on his records working with us. And it was just, mm, it just came out bad. But, you know, that was one of my many bad decisions was trying to do that. Uh, and, you know, Chris did a really great job on it. He really, really did. Uh it just kind of, he didn't really gel with the whole thing. We went on, a, like I said, that's when we went on an American tour for the first time in a long time um, with him. It was very short on the East Coast and stuff, and Doom was coming up on the East Coast at that time. And it just, I don't know, obviously it, it, he, he's a great singer. He went on to but, uh, reach much greater heights than he would have with us. So, you know. There's not really much to say about that, but there was a lot of difficulties around that record, and it's much too long. At that point in time, long records were, you know, in vogue, and I was like, okay, well, we got to do a, you know, long record. But yeah, and that and that's another stupid album cover, and of course, it's because it's kind of commercial. It's cheesy as hell. I mean, look at the title: "Cod Children of Doom." That is a bucket of cheese right there. That's kind of what I was trying to do and hope, you know, hoping that I could catch on to the, you know, the attitude of America, especially at the time, which didn't work. 
Now, dark healing is very interesting because you, you say that it brings a much darker, focused spirit. And well, what happened with that was uh, we needed to get an American distribution, American label to, distri- uh, you know, distribution thing because on Hellhound, they didn't really have anything uh, in America. They had a little bit, but nothing really spectacular. So I had a whole record, pretty much a whole record written, maybe a couple songs short that would have been, you know, the Die Healing record um, because it was one after COD. And, I, you know, it was okay. It kind of sound the songs kind of sounded like COD. So I was, on that point, I wasn't too thrilled, but I was like, we can make it work. Um, it, it'll be fine. So we did two demo songs which were later put on a Seasons of Mist record. Um, was it Chameleon and uh, uh, Soldier, I think were the names. And we went in specifically and recorded those and sent them to a record company in America that said that they were interested in uh, distributing our stuff. And what I got from the guy who made the decisions was we're not going to use these because it doesn't sound anything like St. Vitus. So I completely blew my top and I was like, how dare you say that I don't sound like St. Vitus? So I basically told them to go fuck themselves and I threw out all the songs that I had. And by then we had realized that we're going to have to, you know, give Chris the bad news and so he went home and uh, I started from scratch and wrote Die Healing just flat out all the way through. And we were going to make it. It was designed to be the final St. Vitus album. And it was going to be a three piece with me singing, which would have been a horrible mistake uh, because that's how we started. We always started that way. We would have a singer, and we, and he would be lame. The first guy was really lame. And so in between people, it was always me because we still kept doing shows and still kept doing parties. And so I would just go ahead and do it because I knew how the songs were supposed to go anyway. So that was the plan. And all three of us, myself, Mark, and Armando, were not happy about it, but all three of us were sick of singers by then uh, because, you know, LSD, lead singer syndrome. Uh, so what happened was, uh, Scotty used to live, we all went to school together, myself, Mark and Scott and Scott moved out of the general area where myself and Mark lived to, um, about an hour away, but he kept the same tax man, which was in our neighborhood. So once a year, Scotty would come, you know, and he would visit more than that, but every tax time he would come visit. You know, he would drop his taxes off and he'd go over to our house and party with us for a while and go see other people. And when uh, at that point in time, we had Die Healing was written, maybe one or two songs, not, but, you know, most of it was written. And uh, he came over to the house and we were partying and everything. And he was asking what was going on with the band. And I told him, I said, yeah, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is a bunch of bullshit and, and we're all fucking sick of it. So we got a new album we're going to record with Hellhound, and I'm going to sing it. We're going to make it a three-piece thing like the way that St. Vitus was, and then screw it, we're done. 
And Scotty goes, well, man, you know, all the stuff that you all went through and all the stuff that we went through at the beginning, it shouldn't go out that way. He goes, what about if I sing it? And I said, well, that would be great, but are you going to go on tour for it? Because that's going to have to happen and we'll make it the last album anyway, so you won't have to do anything after that. And he said, yeah, okay. So uh, that's how that reformation came. And he just, I, he went to rehearsal um, and I sang the songs at rehearsal. He listened to him and worked it out the Scotty way. And uh, then we went to Berlin to record it. And, that, and these are the reasons why this is the best St. Vitus album ever recorded. We got, this was the first time, no offense to anyone who worked with us before. This was the first time we worked with a producer who was a heavy metal producer which is Harris Johns. He did all the early Sodom albums, obviously different from St. Vitus. He really wanted to work with us because of that fact. He was work, used to working with a really fast man who was very precise. He told us that they used computers to count the beats, and when they would do the song again, it had to be exactly the same where they'd do it again and again. That's why they sounded so good and were so tight. So he really wanted to work with a band that was looser and, you know, was slower. And we were like, that's fine. So we had it all set up in Berlin at his studio. And we went in and recorded it, like I said, all always basically the same kind of way. <clears throat> Except obviously by then the first takes were all scratches. Unless you got a really good drum take, because you always want to keep a really good drum take if you get it on the first one. And uh, we also, at the same time, that's when we uh, did the One Mind video, obviously for that record, but that's when the guys came in and we shot that whole thing in the studio with a, a green screen or blue screen, whatever the hell they had, and they put the movie behind it. Which is, that's another thing. That's like the best video that I've ever seen by us. With, oh, no, I take that back. The second best video. Uh, the Let Them Fall video for Lily F65 is my favorite one. But that's the reason that it's darker. Because I was so mad when I had to write it again. That it just came out. And I'm, kind, I'm really glad that those guys did that. Because that just made, that made that record the very best one. And now the problem with the tour that happened afterwards, that was Hellhound's fault because Scott had stated that he could only do three weeks. And we were, we were fine with that. And we were telling him, wait, do you see how this is? Cause he had never gone to Europe before. And we were like, these are big places for, you know, for St. Vitus a 300 person place was enormous. And we're like, these are places like that. It's like all the time. There's only a couple little ones. It's really great. They're packed all the time. And he was all stoked for it. And, and we all knew it was going to be the last tour. And Hellhound decided, because the wall had come down, obviously, a few years before that, quite a few years before that. And so they had decided that they were going to add one more week to the tour at the beginning of it. And they didn't tell us until after it was booked. And then they announced it and it was too late you know, for us to say no because it was almost time to leave. 
And that really upset Scott a lot because he had worked it out with his job. He had a family and stuff to support. He couldn't do this, you know, bullshit rock star crap where you don't make any real money. And he was upset because he took his two weeks vacation and his one week sick pay. That was the tour. And so he did it anyway, and he ended up getting sick on top of it. So we had to, after the first like 10 days or something like that, or maybe less, we had to leave because he was sick. And that was before we, before the original three weeks of the tour. So we didn't, we played one of the really good venues that were set up. So all Scott got to see on that was all this crap, little, tiny, stupid places that Hellhound had set up and, and no one knows why. They never gave us an explanation. So, you know, we were like, well, we were going to quit anyway. Screw this. We're done. And we were for, I don't know, what, 17 years, I think, or not. You'd probably know better than me how long that was.
That was Sloth, One Mind, Let the End Begin, and Dark World. So, fast forward 17 years later. Dave Chandler becomes a DJ in a strip club. <laughs> then he starts up Debris Incorporated with, uh, I think, the bass player from Trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at one point, Mark might even join up with them down the road. A little. Oh, no. I think it's Henry. That's where I think Henry Vasquez comes into play. I think he was drumming with Debris Incorporated, and that's where yeah, he I met think you're him, right. I think. Yeah. Um, Acosto joins with a band called Dirty Red. Uh, Wino obviously reforms, you know, stuff with Obsessed. He's doing Spirit Caravan. Mm-hmm. He's doing Shine. What's was doing... in Spirit Caravan? Do you remember? I don't. I have a Spirit Caravan. Um, Coon was, was it like a, Coon was, was, Crow, was Crover playing on that or something? Uh, maybe. Well, that's the Shrine Builder. Shrine Builder's on Yeah, that, that. that's Scott Crover, Kelly. Scott Kelly. Yeah, that's okay. like a super group. That's what I'm kind of a doom yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, they reunite. For kind of a born too late era show in Chicago in 2003, and then um, then Senior again, Senior Repulsion got back together. Ooh. Something was in the air, something or in the uh, unrecognized, <laughs> unrecognized American kind of bands that literally spurred giant yes. subgenres. Unfinished business, yeah, unf- it's got to do it, yeah. And uh, then they kind of re- did a reunion again in 2008. Um, and by then kind of Vasquez had kind of joined the band. Um, Acosto, I think was not doing too well. Mm-hmm. And then Acosto will die in November of 2010 from, uh, arterial issues. So yeah, there, there were some interviews I was, uh, listening on YouTube about that. And like, he would just never go to the doctor. He'd feel fucked up and he'd be like, oh, I'll be fine. And he'd just never go to the doctor. If he would have, so like joy division type shit. Yeah. If he would have just gone to the doctor, he would have just had a pill he'd have to take and he'd probably be still be here damn people are stubborn as fuck man you can't <laughs> i feel like my dad's like that yeah yeah pete he's i mean he's he, a man's gotta, man he doesn't doesn't need to yeah. do, what you, do what you gotta do but you know i don't know so um vasquez had come from a band called blood of the sun i don't know them they, they sound like a band i've heard of but i don't like they don't he also bell. played with uh, uh fuck it was like a some Oh, the hardcore-ish band? Hmm. Maybe it's Blood for the of the Sun. I don't know. It sounds like almost a hardcore type band. Um, I'm not sure. I'll I'll, I'll look it up. Here. So then they uh, then they kind of put together. You know, he's already been in the band by the time. Uh, sadly, Acasso passes away. They put together the Blessed Night single, and uh, they kind of they do that for Seasons of Mist, and then they get signed and uh, ready to do a new record. So. Did you find it? No. My VPN's being a bitch. First album in 17 years. 22 years since Wino's been on a record. Yeah. Um. I mean, have we seen anything like that before? Carcass. Was that was that, that long? 17 years. It was 17. 96 to 2013 or something. Okay. It was, it was quite, yeah. a, quite some time. Damn. That's impressive. Okay. Yeah. So, so, it didn't happen often, but. So that's the, those are like the two comparisons then. Uh, at the gates is pretty close too. Yeah, that's true. At the gates, ninety five to twenty. Well, no, it's ninety seven because I saw him in ninety seven. So they were well, still no, around. Album albums, yeah, ninety five to yeah, yeah. I don't know how because I know that you know Vitus did some more some shows and stuff like, but sure. not. So did but gates since, like the last record. So did at the gates, right? The reunion show in two thousand eight, we saw him. Sure, in New but York. as far as doing new new records, sure. I guess that's how I'm trying to. Sure, yeah. But um, yeah. 
So and then they put out this record, which is uh, Lily F65, which is the name of a depressant. Yeah, it's a downer, man. It's a street street drug. It uh, it had an orange and blue capsule. Yep. Um, I mean, it's kind of the perfect name for this kind of gloom, doomy sort of comeback record. I mean, in terms of comeback records, where do you think it? How's this one sit for you, Lily? Overall, do you get it's? I think I prefer the, pretty the, good. the newest one more to this I would if agree. I had to pick between the two. Yeah, you know? I mean, that, that's like going back and listening to stuff. The wino stuff's, you know, I dig, but it's not my favorite. Yeah. I feel like it was the, my couple of my notes was like, he was the easy entry point to like understanding the band and like, okay, it's cool. But the stuff that was a little more challenging, I think that stays with me more is the, is all the Scott. Is the Scott stuff. stuff. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, I think you know, "Born Too Late" is great and has has its place. I think "Mournful Cries" is really good. Um, but if like if I'm going to go back to it, a lot of it's Scott's vocals. To be honest, that's true. That's like going to be my deciding. Yeah, it's almost like Scott is to these guys what like uh, the vocals on like "Holy Terror" are. It's just yeah, like it takes yeah. it to like a, another place or something. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, we're going to kick off with the bleeding ground. Uh, great lyrics, very focused, very soulful performance from Wino. Musically, I said it's no frills. It's Vitus, you know. Uh, it's a little harsher, which I, I kind of dig the more yeah. gruff. I mean, that's his, he's, you know, he's lived some 22, life, 22, 22 lived years some of drug abuse. He'll do it for you, yeah. yeah. Um, inspired Chandler leads, Sabathian tones, you'd expect. I said it's better produced. I think that's kind of interesting. I, I feel like it actually kind of captures what their live performance yes, is more it than... Feels war, it feels more like that. You yeah. Know? Um, you they have still, no love for uh, Season of Mist, though. <laughs> no? The, the, oh, yeah, that's right. He, yeah. It has the worst fucking label he's ever dealt with. So. Oh, God. Uh, you know, I've never been a musician dealing with a, a label. I've only been a, uh, a creator dealing with book contracts. And I'll I'll grant you that they don't really give you a whole lot of money, but uh, yeah, at least I what I my deals I still own my rights to my shit, so that's all I can mm-hmm. <laughs> say about it. Mm-hmm. And if you sign away the rights to your music, you should fucking make something. Yes, I I agree, I agree. Um, another feedback, false finish, pretty awesome. Yeah. Then it goes into a cool rock boogie uh, with Chandler just jamming. He's just like he's having fun. Solo is a work of beauty in this. The song kind of reminds me of like an updated version of like Dying Inside from their early era. Yeah. It's kind of got that kind of. There's a lot of songs that are just kind of like refinements of things they've already done. That's that's the thing with, you know, bands this deep into their careers. Like, are you going to go back and pull these out that often? Maybe not, but it's nice to have that full discography. You're going to probably go back to the stuff that really like grabbed you immediately. But for instances like this show, it's nice to have these to go and. Sure. Yeah, know, explore like what they're still doing. Then we go into waste of time uh, from Lily and great foreboding, foreboding main riff. Um, I it's a, it screams like hammer horror to me, like uh, be forewarned of of something kind of you know coming towards you. Yeah, um, I said this one's got more. Uh, I hear more like the Sir Lord Baltimore blue cheer kind of aspects to it, which kind of gets gives it a little bit more fun memorability mm-hmm. to it and stuff. It's not so like. Cut so your, dour. Cut your wrists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a good step in the right direction. But I think like it's the next record, the self-titled, that sort of really like kind of locks them in a little bit. So, um, 
Yeah, and then 2019, uh, so Lily was 2013, so then seven years later, we get uh, Exit Wino, Reenter Scott. Yeah. Um, also, no Mark Adams on bass um, because he's dealing with, as Mark said before, Parkinson's disease. Yes. Um, you bring in Pat Bruders from Down, um, and he invests- Also, invest- uh, Goat Whore. Oh, yes. Yeah, I just found that out. Didn't know, which is a nice tie to- He's a pretty, yeah, he's, a, he's been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, and he and Vesquez are a pretty potent rhythm team. And I think we mentioned it in part one, but just in case people didn't sort of hear that in part one, you know, you kind of said it best that they're much more session kind of guys uh, who know they're they're not as like loose and organic maybe in the band. They're locked in and they're tight. But... I think they're, they're probably technically better players. Um, but I think that history really counts for a lot. Like with uh, look at autopsy. Yeah. They don't bring anybody new in. Because I think they're, you know, they don't want like a virtuoso. It's like they're buddies. Like that. There's that. That's what makes that band seem yep. right. You know, unique. Sure. Um, Repulsion's so kind of got that vibe to them a little bit. Yeah, too. they'll bring in you know the drummer or whatever. Or like PL has a new drummer. Yeah. Every you know four or five records or something. But uh, yeah, this just it seems like a. It makes sense kind of thematically to be a re another self titled, because um, this is kind of like kind of dave going on his own yeah like well him and scott going out but it's like but it's really a dave solo record with dave with dave bringing yeah. in the components that he kind of wants to do yeah here. and like kind of starting over again because it's almost a completely new you know half of the band is is new at this point sure yeah um you know he's you know, 62 or something it's like it's 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 inspiring that this shit's still happening i think too maybe that's the what where the album is to me the like one of the most diverse and experimental of their whole catalog in terms of just different things they're trying. Yeah. Children of Doom was pretty, was like that a I little think bit so. too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is a bigger success in terms of like the ideas that he's trying out. Like they hit like stronger maybe yeah, than like so. Children of Doom. Um, you know, and it's just nice to hear Scott back and Scott's doing some different things. He's stretching himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, like he's, like on remains which is the first song we're gonna hear like this and hourglass are two of like the best vocal performances of scott's whole career um i just said he's really on remains the you know it's like got he's he's this filthy diano doom wailings are, are just like really on point um it's one of my favorite dave solos uh of this like late period very cosmic psych chaos yeah. that's really incredible Bass playing is really good on this record too. Yeah, like really I said, I, I think you know, <laughs> I think Pat does an incredible job yeah. on this record. Um, and I've liked. I didn't realize he was on in those like later downs because I just always think like of uh, Rex when I think of like down yeah. kind of in my brain. Um, and I'll go back and listen to those like down three and down four EPs and like those are pretty fucking great. I bet you would dig those a lot more now being into like vitus and stuff yeah, my problem is the vocals yeah you know i i there's some stuff where i really like phil's vocals and there's sometimes i'm just like yeah it's just not doing anything for me like that i i think that scour record's great yeah um yeah. and some of the like early pantera shit i enjoy but the more screamy kind of holding out it just, it just he does more like way. soulful kind of sabbathy type singing stuff on down for the most yeah, I've part heard, i heard the so. like i listened to the first record fairly recently again yeah. i was just like Eh, I don't know. There's just something that doesn't hmm. click with me, but interesting. Yeah, just yeah. comes on a taste. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, 
There's another tune that's on this record that we're not playing called 12 Years in a Tomb. And I always kind of thought like that's like a clever nod to their like absence from the scene kind of in a weird way. And yeah. it's a great Caius riff. So, if, you know, this new record is is pretty phenomenal. Um, and then Hourglass. I don't know what you said about Hourglass, but I, I do think that this is the best Scott vocals of maybe in terms of technique not weirdness he does some cool like weirder odder stuff but like yeah the falsetta stuff that he's like pushing himself to and that bridge chorus like is so catchy and it's like one of the best like vocal hooks like i don't know how i feel you know like he's really bluesy and and kind of soulful he's almost like taking lessons from wino yeah in a way but like it's it's pretty cool i just uh the whole song feels like an unearthed like proto metal gem from like seventy two, like something I would have been like, "Hey, dude, listen to this," like like Leafhound or you know some kind yeah. of band like that. It's just well, this many years in, it feels it's just, warm. Uh, it's inspiring to to see them still doing stuff that you're like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got like a throwback to the first album a little bit on this yeah. tune as well. Like it's got it's very loose, stripped down, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and this is where I, the rhythm section are just in the fucking pocket. They are just yeah, locked the, in, man. The I've got a lot, yeah. That's most of my comments for these songs are about the bass. Yeah, I mean he's, he's doing a hell of a job. Pat is just yeah, he's tearing it up. Um, Dave slashes through this sort of cosmic sort of bass playing stuff during a solo that I think is is really awesome. So this is really fun. So uh, you know if you're kind of a naysayer and maybe you gave up on Vitus, like, you know, back in the nineties or whatever, and haven't really checked out these, these two records, I think you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, this set that we're going to kind of play. So let's get into it. We got the, the bleeding ground and the waste of time from the Lily record. And then we've got remains and hourglass. Uh, and then we'll come out with the last, uh, words from, from Dave Chandler, um, his, his final saying about these kind of last couple records. <laughs> Okay to breathe High oily 
The reason we did the uh, first reunion in 2003, I think, where we did the video, is because Debris had gone and done um, the Wacken uh, Open Air Festival, which was really funny because they thought it was going to be this hardcore doom band because it had Ron Holzner from Trouble and Dave Chandler from St. Vitus, and we were this stupid punk band, or kind of a punk band or whatever you want to call it. It was hilarious. It really... It irritated them so much that they wouldn't book us. The next year, that was 2002, and Debris did it. And uh, and at that, there was Candlemass also played. And uh, we were hanging around in the bar, myself and Leaf, because we had been friends for like a long time anyway. And uh, people were asking about, you know, Vitus doing a reunion and playing with Candlemass and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And it, I really, it was so cool. I really, I, it was my first festival. And I wanted um, Mark and Armando to experience it. So in 2003, I started talking about it with those two. And they wanted to, and I was like, well, you know, I'm going to ask Wino if he would want to do a reunion thing and go over and do festivals. Because he had done them with the Obsessed and stuff. Or do, you know, I was going to ask Wacken if we could play again. And so Wino agreed, and um, we're like, oh, cool. You know, we're going to go rehearse in Chicago, and because that's where Debris rehearsed, and we're going to do this reunion show and video it in Chicago. Debris going to open up, and then we're going to go over and do the festival. And Wacken wouldn't book it because they didn't want Debris. They said, we'll take St. Vitus, but we won't do Debris. And I said, no, because this is a one-time thing, you know, I'm not doing St. Vitus anymore. I'm just doing this for the fans. And Wino's not doing this. Wino's doing the Hidden Hand. So he's just doing it for the fans. So no, screw it. And uh, one of the booking agents over there, um, I forget his name. He said, I'll do it at with full force. So we did. And then after that, uh, we basically stopped. And that was all with Armando. Um, and then, yeah, it was... Um, Armando got sick, and a few years later, I think it was, oh man, uh, 2009, I think, yeah, because it was six years later, 2009, uh, we got invited to do a reunion show at Roadburn, and so we all went over there, and we booked like four other shows. And Armando was just really struggling, and we could see it, and and he knew it, and he, you know, it was. I'm not going to elaborate. It was sad, um, and so we couldn't. We got a because of that show, we got an opportunity to do Hellfest, and and it was like a really big thing, and you know he was he wasn't able to do it, and you know. Anyway, but um, Armando was a really, really great guy. One of the best guys I've ever met in my life. He, he was a, a nut, for one thing. Um, he walked into a band where the you know three people, or actually Scotty wasn't with us yet. Uh, two of the people and this idiot that was singing "Unmentionable," you know, had gone to high school together, and these guys had all these songs written. And you're, and I was unflexible, and he he walked into this by answering an ad, or or uh, I think you know our singer saw his ad and called him, and he came over and, and watched me and my uh, myself and Mark play the songs by ourselves, and I was singing through 
a mic going through one of the guitar amps because Mark was playing rhythm guitar. This is pre-Tyrant, obviously. And, you know, oh, I can work with these guys was Armando's thought. And he quickly fit in because he had the same mental attitude as us. He had the same child in him that I have. And we all got along immediately, myself, Mark, and him. So it became that triad or trio or what do you want to call it, the unbreakable triangle. And the only thing that broke it was sickness. If that hadn't happened, that triangle would have never, ever been broken. That was like the biggest tragedy of St. Vitus was that. Um, But then, of course, Mark followed suit, but thank God he's still alive. Uh, Thank God he's still alive. But, you know... Armando brought a style to just heavy metal in general that really, really wasn't done at the time because most metal bands were playing metal drums. That's what you do. Armando, he was older than us, and he was influenced by different bands. So he was into more of the progressive style. His favorite drummer was Neil Peart. So he would do... He would, that's why if you listen to a lot of his drumming, like at the beginning of Hallow's Victim, you're like, how in the hell, what, what is this? It's because his mind was a bit different, and so he was doing it, his progressive style, but in a heavy metal way, uh, which makes him, in my opinion, probably the most unique heavy metal drummer ever, definitely the most unique doom metal drummer ever. And he knew how to play powerful, he knew how to play soft, which a lot of metal drummers, especially Doom, they do one or the other. They don't, you know, know how to be, they don't know how to mix it up. But, uh, and he would, he was a joker, a really a joker, a practical joker, especially with me. Because he knew I would like, oh, okay, and, you know, get him back. And he would always do this thing where we would be playing a show, and he would change the damn beat in the middle of the song and start doing some weird progressive rush stuff. You know, and, and I'd look over at him like, what in the fuck are you doing? And he would get this big shit-eating grin on his face and Mark would start laughing. And then that would just kind of, we'd kind of fall into chaos until he would go back to the thing to get us back into it. And a lot of people, you know, and it did anger me at the time, but a lot of people would say, well, that's shitty. But that kind of, that made us unique, too. Because we would, we were so tight and we heard so much, we could always fall back into Armando's little trip that he would do. But one of my favorite things, favorite stories of him of all time, I don't know where this club was and I don't know the name of it. But we were warned by other people that played there. This is when we were doing all the hardcore punk shows. And Armando fought the punk rock wars with myself and Scotty. Make, make, make no, like, you know, whatever anybody says, he was there. We had conquered the punk rockers before Wino got there. So Wino had it very easy with them. Um, and this club, we were told by everyone who played there, what the promoter's going to do when it's done, he's going to call you into the office. And he's going to give you a check for the amount. Don't take it because it will bounce. So when you refuse to take it, he's going to pay you, he's going to try to pay you what he has in his pockets and he's going to say, I'm going to go out to my car and get the rest. And then you won't see him again. So we went into this thing knowing this was going to happen 
Um, I think it was in 87 on the Mentors Tour. Yes, it was. And so uh, we knew this was going to happen. So I was like, Armando, watch the guy's car. Because, you know, we were told what his car looked like and everything, where he parked it. Armando watched his car and he's like, okay. So me and me and Wino go into the, the Mark watch the equipment. Me and Wino go into the office and it happens exactly to the letter what everyone said. So he's, I'm going to go out the car and get the money. He said, okay, man, go ahead. So we walked out with him to the door. He goes, I'll be right back. And he opened the door and looked out. And Armando is sitting cross-legged on the hood of his car, which was like a Cadillac or a Lincoln or something, with no shirt on, grinning. And the guy froze for a second. He turned around, and me and Wino are standing there. And he goes, uh, okay, well, let's, let's go back in the office. And he went in the office, opened the safe, and paid us. And I, that was... That's, I guess, my favorite Armando story. I could, you know, go on for hours about cool, funny Armando stories. Uh, he did a whole interview to a woman once in Germany with his short pants on, and one of his nuts was hanging out, and he didn't know it, but everyone else did. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and that's the kind of guy Armando was. If he had known it, he probably would have just let it hang out anyway. I really love that guy and really, really miss him. Um. Okay, I'm just kind of flubbing here. All right, so now we go to... All right, the thing was we started doing... Uh, I forget what... Yeah, I think it was 2010 we did the um, the first Metal Alliance thing with uh, Helmet and Crowbar and everybody, and that went over real well. So we started... You know, we talked it over with all four of us, and it's like, okay, let's just go on. Let's just keep... Let, let's go ahead. Because I had some stuff for a new record. I ended up, you know, writing it. And um, it just flowed into Lily F65. And then we, uh, you know, signed with Season of the Mist, which was a huge mistake. Worst people I've ever worked with in my life. Um, and that's, and Lily F65 is, is, would be number three of the albums that I think are the best St. Vitus albums. Die Healing. The first St. Vitus album, and then Lily. That's my opinion. Um, everybody played so well on Lily, especially Wino. He's great on that. Um, and then the last record, St. Vitus, is I don't really have much to say on that. It's not um, what I wanted it to be. I personally was not in the mood to do anything. I just wanted to get the hell away from Seasons of Mist. Uh, the songs are good and everything, and everyone played really good on that. Scotty and Pat Bruders are the exceptional people on that. They really stand out as, as kicking ass on that. And I really am glad that they did that, because I, I sound like shit on it, because I really wasn't into it. Um, and I guess that looks like to the end of your thing, uh, the response to the last two records... Lily went over pretty well. Uh, no one really understood the video. I thought it was great. And if you really listen to the words to Let Them Fall, and you watch that video, you kind of can understand it because Let Them Fall is all about frustration and how the world is just ridiculous. And that's what that video shows. And uh, let's see here. I wasn't really trying to accomplish anything musically. I wanted... Um, Lily F65 to sound like 
Sorry, my phone screwed up. I want Lily F65 to sound like St. Vitus with a bit of a, a modern kick to it, uh, like the modern Doom kick to it. And I think it actually really came out that way very well. Um, and the last one, like I said, I'll really explain that to you. So, um, for the band's huge legacy, I, I told you where I would put Lily. I don't know where I would put uh, St. Vitus 2019. So anyway, okay, I hope this is cool. If you need anything else, just uh, message me and let me know. Cool. And thanks for uh, thinking of us and doing that for us, you know. It's typical of the music world. Once you stop doing something, unless you're an enormous fan, then people forget about you. So I'm glad you didn't forget. Thanks, man. All right, later. Thank you, Dave Chandler. And that was uh, before Dave, we heard Hourglass and Remains and Waste of Time and The Bleeding Ground. So we've come to the end of the road here, Mark, on our journey uh, of many hours through St. Vitus and the kickstart to our whole kind of uh, American Doom sort of series that we're, we're about to kind of delve into. Um, I've reached out. I will have listeners know we've, we've reached out to people from future episodes. Um, we've heard back from a couple and not heard back from a handful. So I, my intention would be to get all, you know, each episode at least have like a little kind of audio blurb from, from yeah. somebody, but we'll you know, see. We, we try, we, we do what we do. We, you know, who knows what people got going on. It's, you know, I think I'm going to reach out to, I, I wait it. I was going to email Albert this week and ask for emails, but I figured with him, like, hosting this thing on friday he'd be like extra stressed so i just like left him alone and i figure yeah. out maybe i'll email him tomorrow and be like hey sure yeah yeah if you have an email for such and such i tried reaching out to him on facebook but i didn't get much response so yeah and i realize not everybody checks their messengers and, and things I like that certainly so, don't very often yeah. so so i get it i get it indeed but um yeah so we got a pair of tunes that we're going to kind of close shop with uh and then say our goodbyes um and I thought these were two really interesting songs because, A, they end the record, um, so they're back-to-back. And I think Useless in, partic- in particular is a really interesting way of like ending this record. Well, I think um, it kind of it takes – that could have been – this could be their last record. And that's, It kind of takes them back to the beginning. I just said Useless is – I said it's a tip-off to their punk roots, so fun. <clears throat> and between Last Breath and Useless, it's like this one-two punch that could be a fitting end if the band decided to ride out into the sunset now. But it's also a statement of historical vitality if they decide to move forward. So it kind of shows like, hey, we still got it. We could fucking like drop it down and, and do, you know. It's all. It also kind of if you I don't know if you read the lyrics or not for the song. I did not useless. I didn't. Um, useless protests. I mean, it can kind of has rings true to a lot of things lately. Yeah. Things that don't like the. I think the optimism of young people trying to enact social change is something that the like these guys they're sound like hippies but they're anti-hippies <laughs> they're sort of like old uh, like it's bitter it's all it's not gonna nothing's gonna change yeah. so like well, fucking the, bitter, doom, the bitter truth is that uh, yeah 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 nothing's gonna change yeah i could kind of but it's that. a total fucking punk song yeah it's the fastest I mean. thing they've done in yeah while it's it's, it's, it's like a throwback to like where we started it's like the band kind of going full circle yeah. you know almost to their sst days or something like and, that you know we didn't even i don't think we really planned this that we'd have a two part punk series going into the, this is kind of like the perfect, you know, yeah. Next, the next logical step into this. Sure. Like how, how more, 
perfect could we have tra- transferred yeah, yeah. into the new series than this? Can you imagine if we actually, like, it, when we started this 13 years ago, if there was, like, some intent to, like, go in some, like... It just happens. Yeah. Like, uh, you start figuring out the flow of the universe, and it kind of yep, just takes it's you. It's kind of natural. But before we kind of go out with Useless, uh, we have Last Breath. And, um, you know, I, 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 I wrote, it's the only way to close out a Vitus two-parter is with a bleak, utterly depressive doom classic that evokes candle mass and early cathedral. Don't hold your breath or hold your breath or I'll hold it for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great fucking lyric. Dirge as <laughs> fuck. Say your prayers or I'll say them for you. Man. It's the, good. The riff on this reminds me distinctly. I need to look up the fucking song. I should have before. It's it's straight off of Nightfall, like mm-hmm. Candlemas. It's yeah. just like got that just whatever that is. It just and Cathedral does it too, like mm-hmm. an early early Cathedral, and even like on um, what was the record they did for that uh, O'Malley did the cover for End Time. End time, yep. Yeah, like yeah. that, where that's just like bleak as fuck and dirty. Harsh. And, yeah, yeah, harsh and stuff. Yeah. I get I get that kind of vibe a little bit from this. Um, I said, then around the 315 mark, the whole song takes on some new life of like, and then this, all of a sudden the psych energy. The tempo change. Kind of comes back. Yeah. And then I said it crawls back into the filth a minute and 15 seconds later. It's like it gives you this like, moment of like kind of warm groove and then all it's like no fuck you and just boom just right back down into the mud you think you're happy yeah no, I'm back. fuck you and then you get useless right yeah. yeah which is lyrically kind of fits on that theme a little bit too so um yeah i don't know i don't know what's next I, that was one question i didn't really ask dave um you know hey what's next with vitus or whatever you know how's the tour you know like i didn't want to i didn't want to hit him with that like it, it's I don't know what their deal with uh, with Season of Mist is right now. Yeah, didn't I, sound, I just didn't uh, sound positive. You know, spent sixty dollars on records with them yeah. that are they're already shipped. So, um, but yeah, I got that last slew of uh, records from Season of Mist. But hopefully, they'll do something else and tour. And I'd love to see them. I don't think I've ever seen them. I think they might have been at a show where I was at, but I was just like, yeah, whatever. A festival, of which some is sort. always the case until somebody's dead or you can't see him again. well we we made the mistake with a lot of those like old bands like we didn't watch dio play live we didn't watch king diamond in the early times like we yeah. just we didn't have like a when we were when you're young you don't have like a historical sense sometimes and it, it's yeah you don't understand how or little, life seems a little time you got yeah, yeah life seems eternal too and so, I think these guys talk about those themes constantly you know just like probably this. why it's more I mean especially yeah this last year like I've only seen Jesus, just a fucking handful of the normal people I'd seen in the year. I haven't seen a show. And yeah. I mean, that's been, that's like a social lifeline for since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of gone. So, like, you know, this is uh, <laughs> the old Requiem's yeah. taking up a lot of slack yeah. here for yeah. us. So. <laughs> this is our, this is our coping mechanism, our ther- therapy sessions, and, and all Something that. Something to of throw stuff. our, you know, our time into as well that's like productive. For sure. And if you think that you like what we're doing and you've enjoyed this kind of journey that we're about to undertake or the journeys we've just been on, um, please, uh, you know, support us. Uh, go to patreon.com, uh, backslash Requiem podcast and become a patron, um, to get access to special episodes. Um, you know, different, like there's old radio shows that, that, uh, we did. Um, there's, 
Some interviews. Interviews with Chuck Schuldiner. Uh, I've put up interviews with Mastodon. Did I put that one up? Isn't there one with Isan up there? Yeah, there's one with Emperor with Isan that's up there. So, yeah, we'll be... You know, vintage put, interviews. Vintage, yeah. These are from like the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's and, and we're hopefully going to be doing some special Doom-themed uh, patron shows. So, perhaps if you're a fan of certain like Pittsburgh... Uh, doom bands or let's New York say or, uh yeah so you know if you like just this like stuff. the like yeah with the hum, do we have three different ones for the yeah for the thrash series we have there's a heathen episode up there there is a devastation episode up there and a flotsam and jetsam uh doomsday for the deceiver All full episodes yeah that nobody else has heard but patrons but patrons i know oh yeah and like i think i some those couple friends of patrons well like, sure but as far as like yeah. the, the normal subscribers yes. don't, aren't you got you it know, privy to those um, you can follow us on Facebook, uh, Jason and Mark. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Podcast Requiem. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Requiem Metal Podcast. Uh, those are good ways to get feedback on any of these shows. Uh, and if we get feedback, we'll read them on shows. Uh, Absolutely. If you listened in part one, we, we definitely shared a lot of really good feedback we had gotten so far on the soundtrack episodes. We still get some feedback from Neurosis episodes. Um, I'm sure we're going to get some uh, feedback by the time we record the next episodes on the punk episodes and things like that. So, I mean, the first Neurosis um, episode, we've had like 20,000 downloads. Yeah. Yeah. That was our biggest one. <laughs> and so... Like it tapers off because people's like, you know, nobody wants to necessarily listen to a 10 hour show on something. I know. I mean, it's a very specific yes. audience, which luckily we have a lot of those people sure, that are you know, sure. supporting us. And hopefully, you know, if, if you were one of those people that maybe didn't finish that episode, uh, you know, go back to part three where we actually start talking about the record then. Maybe you don't care about historical context like we do, but yeah, I don't know. Most of the, most of the stuff I've heard from the neurosis, if people actually got into it, they're like, "Oh, I get where this is going." The scope of it, that's been what you're trying very, to do. very positive. So, uh, but yeah, Patreon is is the way to do it, and I think we have uh, we've entered, we've leveled up, and so I, we want you to level up with us and come along for the ride. So and far, so, everybody's uh, uh, stepping up. It's yeah, been nice. So thank you to our more recent patrons, and thank you to all of you, and hopefully you enjoyed uh, this journey through St. Vitus. Uh, so we've got Last Breath and Useless from the St. Vitus, St. Vitus record, and um, I'm Jason. And I'm Mark. Mark. <laughs>